Welcome to Rice TVX, and thank you for tuning in for the latest episode of the Rice Crypto Show. Joining me today is Andreas Antonopoulos. In case you're unfamiliar with who Andreas is, he is a best-selling author of five books. He is also a speaker, an educator, and a highly sought-after expert in Bitcoin and open blockchain technologies. Now, this is actually my second interview with Andreas, and I'm going to have links down below and above for that first interview that we did 10 months ago, and I definitely encourage you to check that one out. But before we get into it, if this just happens to be your first time ever watching any of my videos, I do encourage you to explore my channel. Make sure you're subscribed, smash that like button, and hit that notification bell so you can stay up to date with my videos as they come out. I encourage everyone to check out my Patreon channel where I post up exclusive content. You get early access to videos like this Andreas Antonopoulos interview, and it's a way to support the channel directly. Be sure you're following me on Library and Odyssey where I have backups of all my videos, post up extra content, and it's where you'll be able to find me in case YouTube deletes my channel. Also, check out Rice Radio. That's available on Anchor.fm and on every major podcasting platform at Rice Radio. New episodes are out and coming out soon as well. And if you haven't heard, I am partnered up with Money Metals Exchange. And what does that mean? That means you can get a free half ounce of silver. All you need to do is go to MoneyMetals.com, be a first-time buyer, purchase $100 or more, use the promo code RICE, R-I-C-E, and you get that free half ounce of silver, and it's an additional way to support the channel. You can have links down below for everything I just mentioned, as well as everything we talk about on today's show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as I mentioned at the very beginning of the show, joining me once again is the one and only Mr. Andreas Antonopoulos. He is the best-selling author of five books. He is a speaker, an educator, and also a highly sought-after expert in Bitcoin and open blockchain technologies. Andreas, I appreciate you accepting my invitation to come on. How are you doing today? Oh, it's a, a real pleasure, Chris. Uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. I, it's been a, a bit of a crazy day. There were some uh, exciting things happening and a bit of, you know, uh, chaos in the markets. So yeah. I did an emergency live stream this morning. I'm a bit frazzled, uh, probably a bit too high energy, um, but I'm I'm excited we can uh, get a chance to talk about something different because. Um, you know, I think the topic today was a bit too much. Yeah, no, I agree. And I didn't really want to rehash on that. But what I will say is um, we're recording this on Thursday, the 21st. It'll be released on Friday, the 22nd. I'll have links down below for everything that we're talking about, including the live stream that Andreas did earlier ad hoc without any um, any of your production help there. It was a good stream. I, I caught part of it. And oh, um, I definitely encourage people to check that out. Um, I don't want to rehash. Uh, it's just basically about sensational bad journalism on the part of a cryptocurrency media company. And uh, I'll provide links down below. And also you did um, an article, I'm assuming it was earlier today with someone at Bloomberg and that article got released today as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, I, I started getting calls first thing in the morning. I mean, I woke up to, to chaos and I started getting calls from journalists because they're like, what is happening? Did Bitcoin break? Right. 
no is the short answer. Now let me give you the, <laughs> the long answer. So that was fun. Yeah, I did an article for Bloomberg because what happens, and this is, may not be obvious, is they took one of these tabloid rags um, in crypto and they, uh, they pushed it to the Bloomberg data terminals that are on the desks of traders all over the world. So yeah. that caused a bit of a kerfuffle. Um, yeah. So let's, let's switch topics. Let's talk about what what did you want to talk about, Chris? Well, I guess let me start off with asking you, how have you been? How is the the rest of 20, the majority of 2020 treated you and um, how are you looking at 2021? I'm, I've, I've been great. Honestly, um, I, I'm in very, very fortunate that myself and my family have been able to weather this storm, um, uh, I'm in an incredibly fortunate position to have a job that uh, I'm, I'm an employer. I'm not employed, so I'm self-employed. Um, and uh, I was able to maintain uh, my staff and even hire some new people. So um, kept some jobs safe there. And my job is all remote, has been. I've been working remote since I was maybe like 17 years old. So I, I've always worked remote. Um, and so that was an easy adjustment and, um, you know, a lot of people at home, nothing to do, want to watch videos. Well, I got plenty of videos, so that wasn't too bad. And, and fortunately my family and I, we had nothing to want for, uh, food, shelter, um, the ability to continue doing our work. And fortunately no one was, um, sick or at least not bad. I mean, I have a couple of people in my circle who got COVID and, and some of them had the long haul months and months and months of really mm. severe, um, but they all survived it. So, so far. So That's good, good to hear. And it's also, I've found that too, a lot of people that have already used to working kind of remotely, it's been uh, an exceptional year because now the rest of the world is coming onto the remote aspect and it just kind of broadens those horizons and um, where a lot of people weren't taking advantage of opportunities. This was one of those opportunities that people could have been trying I mean, it, to capitalize on. Yeah. It's an incredible privilege to be, because, you know, we, we've got to remember for a lot of people, it's not a choice. Um, they can't do what some of us can do. And, and that means that they bore the brunt of this uh, pandemic, unfortunately especially service workers. But um, anyway, I was fortunate and uh, I feel very, very uh, grateful uh, that I was able to continue more or less living my life with with just a bit of social isolation. That's the only problem. As an extrovert, uh, I I had to change my business and focus more on remote learning and, and video and less on conferences that I used to do before. Right. Uh, but as as an extrovert, the, the hardest thing for me was the social isolation. No, I can definitely agree because I definitely miss the uh, whole going to conferences and different events, um, traveling. It's definitely, but but I get what you're saying and it, and it makes a lot of sense. Now, I know I'm limited with the time I get with you and I have so many questions and I'm probably not going to be able to get through all of them. But one thing that I'm really curious and I want to let people know too, since I've interviewed you and I'll have links for the first interview about 10 months ago, I've restructured my channel, branched out a little bit, still cover crypto and Bitcoin but I've gotten out of the echo chamber and I've been able to reach people who are new to crypto or wanting to learn about it. So what I'll tell people without rehashing things is that you do offer a free introductory course to Bitcoin and open blockchain technologies. 
And it's a workshop that's available on your website completely free. And I encourage people who are new and wanting to learn. Andreas is definitely one of the forerunning experts in the space, and he's got great educational courses. So I encourage people to check those out. But I'm really curious now what you think about um, everything that everybody's talking about with FinCEN regulations, with U.S. legislation, with the new Biden administration, with Janet Yellen, the potential Treasury Secretary, and her comments on Tuesday in regards to um, encouraging lawmakers to curtail Bitcoin because of uh, terrorism concerns and things like that. What are your thoughts on how the Biden administration, FinCEN, U.S. legislation, and the Treasury with Janet Yellen possibly being the secretary, how do you think this is going to affect Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies as a whole? It's not. That's kind of what I, I was expecting. I mean, I know, I know how you've said things about regulation. Do you think right. it's going to affect markets at all? Yes, you, it's going to affect the markets. It's going to affect the prices. It's not going to affect the operation of these networks. And that's an important thing to understand is the difference between the technology sector, the networks that operate, the protocols, the systems that are running, um, which are so decentralized, diffused, uh, constantly evolving, resistant to attack, um, anti-fragile that really there's there's very little to nothing they can actually do to attack those technologies directly um and in fact if they try to attack them they're just gonna they're going to motivate the evolution of those technologies to make them even stealthier and even more resistant to attack and they, you know that that's that's a battle that is asymmetric it's asymmetric because they have a centralized process for coordination, right? They've got to build regulation that they've got to write up in a committee, and then they've got to persuade allies and other countries to go along with this. And if, if any country doesn't go along with this, then that's where all of the crypto activity moves to, so they can't do that. And they have to get it perfect every time. And they're always you know, years behind where the technology actually is. They're regulating... Bitcoin of 2013, and then you say, oh, great, and, and how is that going to apply to the Lightning Network? And they're like, the, the what now? Right. Oh, yeah, how does this affect DeFi? Uh, the what now? <laughs> yeah, but this surely isn't really going to work with Monero. The what now? Um, they, they have no chance. And meanwhile, there is a decentralized network of tens of thousands of developers thousands of cryptography researchers, mathematicians, computer scientists, et cetera, looking at their pathetic attempts at regulating this as if it's, you know, the steam engine of finance, the traditional banking system, <laughs> going, oh, that's funny. So basically now you're saying we have to register account numbers. You mean the same things that we can generate by the tens of thousands per millisecond on an average consumer laptop. Right. Yeah, that's fascinating that you think that will work. Well, um, let me write a quick script to destroy your entire regulation that you spent six months. One second. Done. Your move. Um, so Love it. It's an asymmetric battle, and it's a battle that they're going to lose. But the point isn't whether they win or lose this battle, because the battle is not over domination of the technology. That's a battle that is lost, that no government can really win. Uh, by preventing the evolution and development of technology. You can't hold back the, the change. You can't make your assumptions about how the world should be, be the world. 
the world is the world. And so, but what they can do is they can prevent the legitimate use. They can prevent and make difficult the institutional use. They're never going to stop the criminals, the terrorists from accessing the latest, greatest technology because they are motivated by a high risk, high reward environment in which, of course, using the latest technology gives them the best rewards. They're going to stop you know, Joe from Arkansas from diversifying their 401k into this new technology and maybe getting a leg up on accredited investors. Yes, they're going to destroy the startup industry in Silicon Valley by tying them up in knots and allowing the banks to get away with unfair competition. Yes, they're going to hit the price because all of those easily scared speculators who you know, don't really understand the technology, but see number go up and are like, sure, I'll ride that bandwagon. They're going to be like, yeah, I don't want to get into this dark market, whatever. So ultimately what happens is if this is your approach, you end up regulating the innocent and the idiot. And that's it. Yeah. You don't actually have any effect over these others, but that's not, that's okay because we have to look at why they're doing this. They're doing it for two reasons. One, symbolism. The symbolism is the absolute hegemony, domination of financial systems through control and surveillance. This is table stakes. This is the preconditions to any negotiation. You don't go into a negotiation with treasury or the regulators or the banking system with any possibility of discussion about compromise when it comes to the holy grail of regulation. The assumption is every single transaction from anyone to anyone anywhere in the world is surveilled, controlled, and under our jurisdiction where our is the United States of America. That's the starting point. There is right. no negotiating. If you, if you say, well, why are you making that assumption? You know, there's a whole big world out there that doesn't work by these rules. Like, oh, yeah, you mean criminals. No, I'm talking about the 6.7 billion people who are outside of your little cozy financial system. Like, oh, poor people. No, 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 no. This is about us. And so uh, when they start with these table stakes, there is no negotiation. There is no room for maneuver. They cannot even conceive that one of the negotiating points is, how about we don't do that? Or better yet, we're not doing that. How about you can't make us? So if that's the starting point, there is no negotiation there, right? So, so first is the symbolic. They must dominate the financial control and surveillance space. This is table stakes. This is their starting assumption. Anything that isn't under surveillance and control is by definition illegitimate, let alone illegal and probably criminal, right? right. But all of those things become the same, right? If it's not under our control, it's illegitimate, which means criminal, even if it's not criminal, right? So there's this, there's this confusion where anything that's outside of the system of control is seen as suspect. Uh, and the thing is, 87% of the world economy is outside of this system. Right. You, you can't just say that's all criminal activity, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, so they are going to regulate. They are going to hurt the markets. And ultimately, this comes back down to something I've said before, which is, you can take your country out of Bitcoin. 
but you can't take Bitcoin out of your country. Now, once you realize that all of these laws, all they do is they prevent the development of innovative startups, jobs and opportunities, investment opportunities, and the progression of these technologies in your country, and they just push them to other countries that are quite happy to have them. And this is really self-defeating. It's really self-defeating because America used to stand for the idea that free open enterprise, free markets, freedom of expression, innovation, technology, and leaning forward fearlessly, the home of the brave, into these things gives us such an incredible advantage in the world. Because yes, these technologies can be used for various nefarious activities, but if you put them in a structure of solid institutions, a rising middle class, a, an innovative technical environment, they actually feed growth and development and opportunity. If you transplant those in the middle of Putin's Russia, oh my God, so disruptive, right? It's mm -hmm. not fun for Mr. Putin trying to run a dictatorship when, you're, when your entire population can opt out of the financial system and its surveillance. Right. That's how we used to think about these things in America, right? That's where you would drop radios um, into the dictator's country. Uh, not where you start banning radios in yours just in case someone says the wrong thing. Unfortunately, I do expect that we are going to see some ham-fisted, wrong-minded attempts to regulate these technologies, which will ultimately fail to curtail the technologies, but they will severely damage the competitiveness of the United States in this emerging technology. And ultimately, they help the dictators, the autocrats, the thieves, the criminals, and the terrorists to do more with more desperate people supporting them because they don't have any other options. Yeah, it's it's really crazy when you think about this. And I mean, really, it all comes down to uh, an attack on fiat money in general and giving people an option of money for and of by the people. And that's an important thing, especially when you look at all the control that has happened because of money, monetary policy, we're, I mean, we're just, if you're in the fiat system, you're a complete debt slave. And um, it's really yeah, sad. Th that's to think the thing. They, yeah. they have no choice, right? No, they don't. No. The, the, the problem for Janet Yellen, the problem for any central banker, treasury official, or administrator of the traditional financial businesses is this. They have trapped the entire monetary system in the zero bound. They have gone into the, you should not go there, negative interest land. And there's no exit from that, right? right. You raise interest rates by one percentage point, the entire system implodes. It is impossible to service the debt. All of the debt obligations start cascading. It all implodes, which means they can never bring up the interest rates. Uh, which means that misallocation of capital due to the zero or less than zero cost of capital gradually infects the entire economy. Mm -hmm. And you build a house of cards, a house of escalating asset bubbles that, that redirect enormous amounts of wealth from the middle class to the 1%. But that 1% is increasingly trapped in investments and assets and fiat 
that have no yield, that have no productive potential, that keep losing value. And what are they going to do? They're going to look for an alternative, desperately going to look for an alternative. So if, if you're in that situation, the only chance you have is to shut all the exits, um, which is futile because you can't shut all the exits because, because money is liquid and it flows through whichever tiny pinhole, pinprick of a hole that it can find, but they're gonna try anyway, right? They're gonna try. They figure if they can keep the majority of the 300 million Americans trapped in some kind of bullshit 401k IRA wage slave existence, and then keep the bottom 30% from building guillotines, um, they're, they're going to survive another decade. And by that point, they've retired and they don't care. Yeah. Um, we're at end game situation, right? Um, and now this end game may take decades to play out, but in terms of a monetary system that, that, that is no longer sustainable, in terms of empire that is not empire but hasn't noticed yet, in terms of um, escalating demands for surveillance and control to prevent people from exiting a failing system, we're, we're there. And, and yeah. all that does is it makes technologies that provide any kind of hope of an exit, flawed or not, it makes them absolutely um, uh, desirable, right, uh, by everyone who's in the system. And, and people will yeah. go to extremes to get them. I mean, it's, it's definitely, in a way, when you think about it, it's, it's definitely a good marketing for Bitcoin. You know, yeah, every, and, everything and, and, that the banks are doing is just completely marketing Bitcoin. Like here's here's the here's the answer to everything that everybody's complaining about. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I'm not like um, one of those people who will tell you, "Don't worry, this time it's different." Now we have the institutional investors. This bubble will just continue growing, and the price is unassailable, etc. We could be at Bitcoin 1,000 tomorrow. We could. Yeah. And guess what? The Bitcoin network would still work exactly like it's working right now. And I would still use it to do the things that I care about, which is providing freedom and opportunity and building payment systems that are outside of anybody's control and using a neutral platform to develop value for everyone. Um, I would still use it to send money to my contractor in Venezuela and my contractor in the Philippines and use it where the financial system doesn't reach. It would still work. Now, a lot of people would get wrecked. They'd be very upset. They'd be like, oh, Bitcoin didn't work. Um, but if then you're, you're in it for the money. Yes, you're misunderstanding what this is all about. Yes, the ultimate promise of Bitcoin as a technology, if it is to work and scale, does involve higher valuations, um, simply because it needs to be able to move larger amounts. Right. Um, but higher valuations are not the end. They're the means to the end. The end is an open, free, and neutral financial system that no one can sabotage. And I think that's the key point that people need to understand because the between here and that destination is a very bumpy road. Um, and the bumpiest thing is the price, right? So mm -hmm. yeah, we may get to a better price at some point, but we may take a, a detour next month, next week, maybe today, through some rather uncomfortable valuations. Right. And a lot of the investors are not ready for that, right? No, I definitely agree 100%. Um, 
And when you speak of in institutions, I mean, we're seeing uh, between like PayPal and Cash App, Grayscale, they're purchasing up more than the 100% mine daily output that's coming out on the Bitcoin network. Um, we're seeing that supply and demand come into play. Um, how do you think that that is going to affect the regulations of government? I mean, when you're seeing all these institutional money coming into it and people adding this as assets, um, you're hearing talks about Tesla potentially turning their stock into from U.S. dollar into Bitcoin. I mean, at that point, do you think that the U.S. and other different legislators are going and reg regulators are going to have to be positive about this? Because I don't like the idea that we're as a nation that we're giving other countries and other nations opportunities to be able to advance where we're not given that. And we should, because we're, we're America, you know, I mean, Americans should, you know, I don't see why we're sabotaging ourselves just for the control of fiat money. It's, it's really crazy when you think, when because you get it's very, very profitable for some to be at the center, even of a very fragile, system if that fragile system generates a typhoon of dollars that they can sit in the center and simply catch out right. of air right so it's it's generating enormous inequality but that inequality doesn't take the median income down as well right. as generating enormous inequality look at what's happened to the top 30 or 40 richest people in the united states as measured by conventional measures they've increased their net worth by 1.3 trillion dollars in less than 12 months yeah 2020 was a so, very good year for a lot of them so then the question is so then you have to ask when someone says the system is working does that say much about the system or does it say a lot about who they are because if you, if you ask the average waiter or the average flight attendant or the average plumber or um, the uh, hotel maintenance engineer, um, if the economy is working for them, they'll be like, no, it's, it's, it's a devastating cycle of poverty, despair, and I'm one paycheck, one broken ankle, one uh, diagnosis away from myself and my family being destitute yeah it's it's, um, it's crazy and man. and and me having to decide whether i'm going to seek treatment and bankrupt my entire family or take the easy way out by driving into a ditch i mean that's the that's the lived experience for more than half of the population of the country and then if, if someone says listen the economy is working great the financial system is full of opportunity growth and beautiful things you're like, oh, you're one of those people. Glad it's working for you. Right. Um, so, but l let's get some perspective as well. Janet Yellen said the other day um, that we must curtail the use of Bitcoin. Um, that's what's known as a bluff. Let's be very clear about that. One, you don't have the ability to do that. Ms. Yellen. You simply don't. So you can curtail your use of it. You can maybe bully some other people into You can't curtail the use of it globally. So my response to that is, no, thanks though. Um, I'm going to uncurtail. What's the opposite of curtail? I'm going to expand my use of it. 
Money Metals Exchange, the most trusted silver and gold dealer with the lowest prices and fastest shipping. And you can get a free half ounce of silver. Visit moneymetals.com. If you're a first time buyer, purchase $100 or more and use the promo code RICE, R-I-C-E, you'll get a free half ounce of silver. Visit moneymetals.com. So there we go. Right. Um... Then the the other question is, though, it, why is that bluff being made? The bluff is being made because that's the opening salvo in a negotiation, right? And so what it does is it sets the midpoint of that negotiation at, okay, you can use it, but only if you do the following things. Identify every recipient's address under strict KYC AML laws, report anything over $1,000, provide 17 forms of ID, add a 3% tax, blah, 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 blah. And they pile on the regulations. Now, what that does is two things. It ensures that this cannot be as disruptive as it is, and it ensures that the organizations, startups, financial institutions that are playing in this domain cannot compete against traditional financial um, institutions. Because the simple truth is the financial institutions go, hang on a second, we're fighting this with one hand behind our back. Now, the rational answer to that is uncuff them. Uh, the yellow answer to that is cuff their competitors equally or more, right? And, and then everybody's cuffed, right? That's not, that's not how you make progress in a society. But if you start with, I'm going to ban you or I'm going to curtail the use, then it seems kind of reasonable and much more of a compromise when it says, oh yeah, we'll let you play, but here's 600 pages of regulation that you must comply at a cost of $10 million a year for every one of your institutions. Well, that's the entire startup industry gone. Right. That means that only PayPal can play because they've already spent that kind of money for compliance. Right. That's handing the entire industry to them. And the rest of it, where does it go? Offshore. So, yeah, I mean, they say curtail because what they're going to end up compromising after they get pushback is to this kind of cozy arrangement where the status quo gets to continue doing their status quo things. When you hear people saying you have to have a banking license to operate in crypto, the point is not for startups to get a banking license. The point is to make it unaffordable for those who don't already have a banking license to exist in this space. What they're saying is not you have to have a banking license to play in crypto. It's only those who already have a banking license can afford to play in crypto. Right. That is basically taking the entire innovative industry and wiping it out with a stroke of a pen. And that's a gift to the banks. It's an oh, absolute totally. gift. And that's what they've been hoping for. If you listen to what the bankers have been saying for more than a decade, their biggest fear is free markets, which is incredibly ironic. But if you talk about Bitcoin and competition and protocols and innovation, their answer always comes back to the government will ban you. The government will not allow you to operate under these conditions. What they're saying is we are afraid of competition in an open free market based on innovation. We need the the government in our corner setting rules that only we can fulfill so that you do not exist anymore. And that's always been kind of the Faustian deal between um, 
the kind of corporate kleptocracy um, and licensing mechanism that exists in traditional finance. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it, it reminded me of that um, Rothschild quote where he talks about caring not about basically who makes the laws, he cares about who controls the money supply. Mm-hmm. One, uh, one other question I wanted to ask, and this is something that um, somebody who I know had suggested as a question suggestion, and I thought it was a great one and something that you don't really cover a lot. How can the Bitcoin and crypto community better posture ourselves with the infosec industry on which we're so dependent? That is a great question. Um, I mean, there's a number of issues there. For one thing, the infosec industry is, as a whole, quite suspicious of Bitcoin. Uh, And part of the reason for that is because one of the things that Bitcoin does differently is that traditional infosec is very much a system of controls, um, monitoring and controls which fits very nicely with traditional finance, but that's not how Bitcoin works. Bitcoin is a system of incentives around game theory, and there really isn't yet an infosec industry built around the idea that you can achieve secure and fair outcomes through game theory and incentivization. That doesn't exist in the vocabulary of infosec, which is a missed opportunity um, because it's one of the areas in which the technologies invented proof of work, consensus algorithms, decentralized coordination, zero proof algorithms, sorry, zero knowledge proofs, all of these can work. And you can actually have infosec systems that are based on incentives and game theory. There's another reason. uh, And that is that, um, honestly, the infosec environment is much more diverse than Bitcoin. Infosec is a much bigger industry, and it has a lot of people who are not the kind of strict libertarian, Austrian economics, guns and stake, um, maximalist attitude. You know, that kind of macho culture, which is fairly unique in Bitcoin is, is, and pretty strong in Bitcoin, it isn't mirrored in Infosec. Um, so there is quite a bit of suspicion in InfoSec when you have people who look at Bitcoin and think, whoa, those are some weird mountain people, um, you know, um, which is why, by the way, Ethereum's culture is much closer uh, to that. So there's, there's maybe a bit more openness to that. Um, Bitcoin's a bit of an outlier culturally and politically, which isn't bad for Bitcoin. It's a more conservative system, but it may be one of the reasons why it's difficult to get the InfoSec community to take it seriously. Okay, cool. I really appreciate that. And I'm sure that uh, my friend Nathan Hawk asked that question and he's uh, he's been involved in cybersecurity and a lot of different InfoSec related kind of things. So I'm sure he'll appreciate that. So thank you again. And I guess um, I'm kind of limited, obviously, on time, and I've pretty much expired it. So do you have any final thoughts that you would like to add before we wrap things up? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the main thing to realize is that um, if you've been in this space long enough, you probably recognize that this is the fourth time we've gone through a bubble of exuberance. These are not random events. Um, In in fact, there's very good evidence that they're driven fundamentally by the halving algorithm 
in four-year cycles. Um, but uh, what they do is they produce these very, very extreme volatility scenarios where you have very, very big bull runs, usually followed by a retraction, which isn't catastrophic, but it will revert to mean, and then some sideways movement and all of that. You know, the financial issue isn't really interesting to me. Um, the bottom line is this. You can't always time the market, and these investments are risky. We all know this, and yet there's a lot of new people coming in who, who come in with the hope that they're going to use this investment to build a stable financial future. I think it's really, really important to keep emphasizing the thing I've been saying for years now, which is education is more important than speculation. Education because you can't lose education. Education because you don't have to time education. You don't have to time the market. Um, education because it's a long-term gain. Education because it's transferable. The knowledge you learn here applies to a broad variety of industries and topics. Even if the market goes down, you can use that knowledge somewhere else. Um, so at the end of the day, um, if the market turns against you, um, you can lose money, but you don't lose the education. So take that out of this. And I think it's very important to, to help people because ultimately, 75% uh, of the people who came in during a speculative mania will depart when it reverses. My goal, my mission, is to take the other 25% and whisper in their ear, it's about the other 6 billion, not your keys, not your coins. Um, and get them to understand why this technology is important from a historical perspective, from a political perspective, from the perspective of liberty and empowerment, and why it's here to stay regardless of what the price does, um, and persuade them to start studying that aspect of it, uh, because that is personally enriching, if not always financially enriching. So that I'll still be here, just like before, uh, and I'll be ready to um, explain to those who are left um, why they should still be interested in this, even if it's not worth $40,000. That's beautiful, man. So well said, so elegant. And, um, thank you. And as always, I appreciate your time, man. And thank you for joining me on today's Rice Crypto Show. I'm going to have links down below for everything we talked about, the Bloomberg article, the sensationalism article that basically has been debunked. So I want to encourage people to basically educate themselves, as Andreas said. Um, I'm going to have links down below also for Andreas's website and YouTube channel. If you're not already subscribed to his YouTube channel, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you subscribe to my channel. And as always, I encourage you to be the change by practicing change.